Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 44th episode, the Lewis Hamilton episode. Finally, we get to my guy. This one, honestly, might be more special to me than the 50th episode of this podcast. I don't know, because Lewis, Lewis is my dude. Um, not, not the best race for him in Bahrain, but solid. Um, but yeah, speaking of that, F1 is back. We're finally back to the review slash preview, um, I guess, part of this this show that kind of, what what the, that's what the show became, is just every single weekend previewing the race and, and reviewing the race. I had a fun off-season, and of course, I took that lengthy break. Um, but we're back for another season, and I'm not going to say that we're doing everything the exact same. Some segments will return. Some segments will be brand new, and you will see in just one moment. So, Without further ado, let's review the 2023 Bahrain Grand Prix. So, a few things will remain the same, and that is going to be, for now, the format of how I break down a race weekend. Uh, last year, I started every single weekend um, with the with the storylines. Um, but I have thought about this, and now that I'm on video, like I, I wasn't last year at all, it was just an audio podcast, I take a lot of notes when it comes to reviewing the race, um, so I'm hoping that, you know, my eyes, well, this is for video listeners, of course, if you're an audio listener, then this isn't going to matter to you. I'm hoping my eyes don't wander too far, and I just end up reading my screen the whole time, so this will be a work in progress, but... Let's let's get into some storylines that, you know, uh, Darnell and I would have touched on on last week's episode. Uh, Darnell is from a podcast called King of the Take, and we had a great conversation. If you want to go back and listen to that, um, I posted some TikTok clips. I uh, had a great conversation with Darnell, and I'm very proud of, of how far this podcast has come. So, yeah, check out those episodes. Um, so, let's get into the storylines of the Bahrain Grand Prix. I would say from testing, the the big ones have to be, is Red Bull going to absolutely walk away with this championship? And how good is Aston Martin? I guess also the midfield looking extremely tight. Um, looking at practice, Aston Martin did in fact look menacing. And perhaps Red Bull wasn't as dominant as, as they looked in testing. Max Verstappen already... Um, on Friday saying that things just felt a little bit different for him. Um, so maybe Red Bull in a bit of trouble and Aston Martin looking better than Mercedes and Ferrari who didn't have a great Friday. Mercedes really looked like they were struggling on Friday and Ferrari just was kind of quiet. Just not really showing their true pace is what a lot of people felt. Um, and again, the midfield looking tight. No one looking super far off the back. Maybe Williams and Alpatara looking like the slowest cars. Um, but not too, too bad. So... FP2 and FP3 were probably uh, pretty famous practice sessions, to be honest, because who topped them? Fernando Alonso in the Aston Martin. He has not even raced with this team yet at this point, of course, and he is already making huge shockwaves. And speaking of Aston Martin, also, on Friday, Lance Stroll gets into the car. It was a question of whether he would race for the Bahrain Grand Prix. He gets approved somehow, and on Friday, he caused quite a stir, um, seeing him go into turn one and take his hand off the steering wheel and kind of push it with his other hand. Um, his team was was telling him, you know, you, you got to compromise your, your turn one to 
get the exit off of turn two. It's very crucial in Bahrain onto that back straight. And he said he couldn't do it because of his wrists. And then there was also a video of him helping get out of the car. And I think, I don't remember who it was, but they brought up a great point that drivers have to be able to pass their, their exit test. I, I might be saying the name wrong. I forget what it's exactly called. But you have to be able to get out of the car in case of a fire in a certain amount of time. And how was he going to do that if he couldn't put the weight on his wrists? But even though I said that he probably shouldn't be racing by the looks of it, because, you know, if he was already getting sore in practice, what's it going to be like when he's pushing in a race um, and also going wheel to wheel and the turn one and whatnot? But on Saturday, it did look improved. We didn't see that anymore from him taking his hand off the steering wheel. I don't know if he got like some cortisone shots in there or what, but Lance certainly did look better on the Saturday. Um, so yeah, Saturday, let's let's go straight into that. Q1, um, I guess I already mentioned FP3, which is on Saturday. But anyway, Q1, let's, let's, let's go here because everything honestly looks fantastic. Merck looked much faster than we thought they'd be. Ferrari also was definitely in the mix, and we're like, okay, here we go. Ferrari's there. Aston Martin, their practice pace wasn't just fake. They were looking fast in FP1 and, or sorry, in Q1, and Red Bull, of course, up there, but not fast as you'd think. They did not top Q1, so everything's looking great. The the field spread from 1 to 20 was 1.1 seconds. And, of course, that isn't the exact, you know, it's not the exact times that they would see because, obviously, what we saw in Q2 and Q3 did kind of change that narrative. But just seeing that for a second, because if you remember last year, at times it looked like the Alpine or the McLaren or whatever car was the best of the rest would be almost like a full second off of the top three. This is 20th to first, separated by 1.1 seconds in Q1, and that looked very promising. In 20th was Nick DeVries. Uh, he did not end up starting from the back because Pierre Gasly, who had a bit of a shocker as well in Q1, um, I think he went 17th fastest. He actually got his lap time deleted, so he actually started from 20th. Um, but yeah, following DeVries in terms of Q1 was Oscar Piastri. Um, it wasn't as bad as, you know, it, seeing him in 19th seems bad. But like I said, it was very tight. Um, so 19th wasn't actually terrible for him, but definitely not where he wanted to start his F1 career. And 18th was K-Meg, who really kind of struggled all weekend long, especially in comparison to Nico Hulkenberg, who we'll get to. Um, in 17th, like I said, was Gasly. And then 16th. Logan Sargent, I think this man has already proved he is definitely not going to be another Latifi in that Williams. He actually matched Lando Norris's time, who was 15th fastest, and he escaped. I think Lando has a streak of like not getting eliminated in Q1, and boy, that was close. The exact same time, it's just that Lando said it first. So a tough bounce for Logan Sargent in his first ever F1 qualifying. Literally one millisecond away from getting in to... Q2, but it did not happen. He had to settle for 16th. Um, but moving on to Q2, Alex Albon, who did make it through, ended up not being able to make it into Q3. He had, I don't know if he, I think he didn't have a time set either, kind of had a weird moment 
where he's just had no control of his car. And then he just came into the pits and was like, well, that's going to be it for me. So Albon and Sargent ended up starting next to each other, which was kind of cool. Um, a great job from Logan, I guess. Um, in Q2, though, the story was more so at the front. I'll get into who was eliminated in a second. Um, it was a it was a gulp moment is what I call it because in Q1, Merck, Ferrari, Aston, Red Bull all looked close. And then those, the three, you know, Merck, Aston, and Ferrari all set very quick times. Mercedes is even up there on one lap pace, which shocked me. And then here comes Max Verstappen with an absolute blinder of a lap. Purple, 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 four tenths up on Lewis Hamilton. And it was like, okay, here is Red Bull. They have officially arrived. And they did kind of carry that momentum for the rest of the weekend, getting ahead of myself a little bit. But that was kind of the moment where it hit me. Okay, this this is the Red Bull that we were waiting for. They have, in fact, sandbagged a bit. And it's time for Mac Verstappen to take over, basically. Um, but if we move on to Q3, I guess, quickly, uh, it was Sonoda in 14th. And I'm actually doing this completely off of memory. Um, Joe in 13th, Bottas in 12th, and Lando in 11th, who just barely missed out on Q3, but still a pretty solid effort from him in a McLaren that is looking very rough at the moment. So that means into Q3 was Nico Hulkenberg in his return to a full-time seat in F1. He's been a bit of a super sub, as they call him, in uh, the past few seasons. And I find every time he's stepped in, he's actually done a pretty solid job. So um, that says a lot about his adaptability and just how quickly he can get up to speed and everything. Like I said, Nico is one of my overachievers for the season, and I I rate him pretty highly. Uh, so Nico Hulkenberg into Q3, and also... Who am I? Oh, Ocon was into Q3 as well. Um, the rest of, of the the top eight, the teams that you would expect, Lance Stroll did in fact make it in with his hurt wrists. Um, the top four teams essentially were the, were the rest of the eight, right? So in Q3, I'd have to say though, this was probably one of the worst Q3s I've ever seen. And qualifying, I find, barring Monaco, like the first one of the season is always one of the best because you really get to get a good idea of what the pecking order is going to be. And it was so strange because we only saw Ferrari and Red Bull go out and do runs early. And then we saw the Mercedes, the Astons and uh, like the Ocon and the Hulkenbergs of the world uh, come out later on and only do one run because they only had one set of tires. And then Leclerc, another Ferrari strategy kind of moment where everyone was questioning, is this the right call? Leclerc wasn't that far off of Max Verstappen, who did set uh, the benchmark with his banker lap. Uh, so at this point, Max is, is in P1, Leclerc's P2, Paris P3, and it's it's not that bad. I think Leclerc was in a tenth and a half or two tenths, and then we just see him getting out of his car, and they're like, nope, we just want an extra set of tires for tomorrow. We are not going to go out and try to challenge Max. And in the end, maybe Leclerc could have been on the front row, um, but Perez was able to pip him. And of course, Max Verstappen stayed on pole position. And it was basically a fight between Sainz and then the two Red Bulls. And then I think we saw a lap from Ocon, but it, like, it didn't really change anything because he was obviously not going to out-qualify anyone else. So the order, it was just lame because it was like a very easy pole position for Red Bull whether it was going to be Max or Perez was interesting and Perez 
actually had the lead onto Max until the final corner where he kind of blew it a little bit and only missed out on a, on a tenth and a half. So great lap for Perez up until that moment. I'm not sure if you guys actually noticed that he was up going into the final corner. Pretty disappointing stuff from Perez because when we move on to the race here, the question was, of course, could Perez maybe challenge Max, but also is this Ferrari strategy going to help them or is it going to be, you know, a kind of another classic blunder from Ferrari already under Frederick Vasseur's leadership? Um, the start for Perez, which is why I was getting to the part that it was kind of disappointing, his start was not very good. Leclerc takes P2 from him. Max basically starts out and starts driving off into the distance, honestly. Um, but looking further back at the start, Lance Stroll almost ruined Aston Martin's race right from the start, going in way too hot. It's kind of a situation, of course, in Bahrain, you're turning right, and in, in America last year, in, in Coda, uh, you turn left into turn one. But it was the same situation almost with, with George Russell and Carlos Sainz last year, where George was coming in too hot, um, and Carlos tried to do a little cutback on Max, and he cut back right to the apex, and Russell just didn't have enough time. It was the same thing. Stroll came in too hot. I'm not defending him. I'm just saying that there's kind of reasons. It wasn't just absolute kamikaze mission, of course. Uh, Alonso does a little cutback, and Stroll actually makes contact with them, but they both survive, and they don't come away with any damage. So that was huge for Aston Martin, who this might be their most competitive weekend of the season, right? Based on how they were looking, you don't know if they're going to be able to really hold on to Mercedes and Ferrari in terms of development. It's a, it's a question mark. Um, maybe they can, maybe they can't. But Aston Martin's going to want to take advantage of this opportunity when their pace is, is right up there. Um, and then almost blew it just like that. And, of course, more worries for Stroll and his wrist. Is he going to be able to make it through a race distance um, without, you know, what if he has to do a quick reaction on the steering wheel? Is that gonna is that gonna ruin it for him as well? So already just putting, you know, some worry into probably the Aston Martin pit wall and all of just F1 at that moment because like is, this might be dangerous. Um, but they survive it. And also great starts from Williams and, and Valtteri Bottas. Williams each made up three positions and Logan and Albon were right up there, right from the start, and Valtteri. Unfortunately for Joe, he went the opposite way. But Valtteri, I think, gained four positions at the start and helped his race massively. I'll just say that. Um, but yeah, like I said, Verstappen really started to pull away. It, there wasn't even a point in showing him on the TV at that point because he was just driving off into the sunset. Um, as for Nico Hulkenberg, I said that he had a really good qualifying, qualified P10 he kind of started falling back right away and got a bit of damage on his car. And from there, his race was kind of compromised. And unfortunately for Haas, their race pace did not look as solid as their quality pace. So neither him or Magnussen were really able to make up too much ground. Although Magnussen, for how much he struggled throughout the race, or sorry, throughout the weekend, his race was actually pretty decent. But again, getting ahead of myself. The first retirement of the season, I'm not going to lie on F1 play. I picked Lance Stroll because... We all know Stroll has, uh, maybe has a collision in him uh, once or twice throughout the season, but also just mixed in with the wrists. I wasn't sure if he was going to be able to make it through, so I picked him just be, just on the odds. You know, it's a total crapshoot uh, at the beginning of the season. But the first retirement was Oscar Piastri. It was a tough one. He didn't really even get a chance to make an impression on the race. 
Although, you know, if you kind of look at how McLaren's race went, maybe it was for the better that he just got to avoid it. Um, he had to retire with an electrical issue. His, his car just basically shut off on him. They, he brought him into the pits. Uh, or Sorry, he went into the pits. They tried to change his steering wheel. And from there, the car basically just died. So that was the end of Piastri's day. Um, looking back up into kind of where most of the excitement was this race, and that was the Aston Martin Mercedes kind of area of the race. Um, and Russell, who was getting attacked by Alonso, who had his start compromised because of Lance Stroll, um, the Mercedes were both able to get by them. But then Alonso's right on Russell's rear wing, and Russell's really on Hamilton's rear wing. And Hamilton's not really able to make any impression on the Ferraris ahead. And Russell had to ask the question, is, is Lewis managing or, you know, is he just slow? Because I feel like I have some pace in me. And they come on the radio and they say, Lewis is struggling. Lewis is struggling. At this point, as a Lewis fan, I'm like, oh, great. This is going to be fantastic. Russell's going to overtake him. People are going to be clowning Lewis again. And Fernando will probably get him too. But that wasn't the case. In fact, Lewis was able to kind of stay ahead. Just I'm not sure really what was going on. They said he was struggling, but maybe he was managing because then he kind of started to pull a gap after Russell did make a slight error as well. Um, but from there, just they both boxed and Lewis was able to stay ahead after the pit stops. Lewis d- did actually have a, a mega pit stop from Mercedes there. So that, of course, would have helped them as well. But anyway, you're probably wondering, you know, why am I going through these tiny little things? I guess I should just say it really wasn't that great of an opening race. I, I will keep breaking it down, but just not that much happened. We did get a little more excitement near the end, so just bear with me. We will get to it. Um, now let's talk about two drivers who had an absolute nightmare of a Grand Prix, and that was Esteban Ocon. I was about to say Lando Ocon. Jesus. Lando Norris and Esteban Ocon had absolute nightmares. Esteban, especially, um, they had nightmares for two different reasons. Esteban, under investigation for being in the wrong, or not being in the wrong pit slot, uh, he overdrove his mark on his uh, grid slot. Um, So that is pretty much a slam dunk penalty all the time. So we had to come in and serve his five seconds. And then when he served his five seconds, his team screwed up and they did it wrong. So then they got a 10 second penalty for that. And while he was serving his penalty as well, he also sped in the pit lane. So then he had 15 more seconds of penalties on top of his five second penalty. And that basically just spelled the end of Esteban Ocon right there. Um, and from there, I feel like he was just trumbling around because he he was so far out of it. He needed a full safety car to be able to do anything in this race. And then for Lando, I honestly don't even have an explanation as to what was going on there. Um Every single time he had to pit five times and he had to get some like air tube in the side of his car. I'm not sure if it was for cooling or what it was for. I really don't even know, but his pit stops were all like eight seconds long and he had to do five of them. So of course that is not gonna, you know, bode well for your Grand Prix. And it certainly did not for Lando. So bit of a nightmare for McLaren altogether. Um, But like I said, not a super eventful race until we get to the final pit stops. Um, at this point, Leclerc had fallen back and Perez had overtaken him. So it was really looking like a Red Bull 1-2 um, until we see a Ferrari pull over to the side 
and the voice of Charlotte Claire saying, no, engine, no. Something we've seen in Bahrain before, the 20, going back to 2019, when Leclerc um, lost his race win because of an engine issue. This time, just a full DNF, and the worries for Ferrari begin once again. But this did actually somewhat open up um, what was going to be an interesting battle for the podium, because those three, Verstappen, Perez, and Leclerc, were way ahead. And now it was up for grabs, because Sainz was struggling a little bit. Alonso was in the mix, Hamilton was in the mix, even Stroll and Russell, who were a bit further back, were kind of in the mix. And after the last round of pit stops, Alonso pits four laps later than Hamilton, gets on the slightly fresher rubber of the hards, and starts closing that gap to Lewis. And once he gets there, we see one kind of lunge from Alonso into, I believe, his turn four. Um, at the end of the second DRS straight, and Alonso overshoots it just slightly, or maybe not even overshoots it. I think he just tried to get on the power a little bit too early and got a little squirrely and gave the position back to Lewis. So Lewis defends for a few more corners, and we get into the deadly turn 10, which is like a really tight left-hander, but it's also downhill onto the third DRS zone, kind of probably one of the trickiest corners in the entire season, definitely the trickiest corner in Bahrain. And... Alonso pulls off just an absolutely spectacular move. I can't even, I can't even, <laughs> like, of course, I'm a Lewis fan, and I didn't want to see that move happen, but my God, what an absolute, just gorgeous piece of racecraft from Fernando Alonso to do that into such a difficult corner where we see a lot of cars, you know, lock up in testing and, and in practice and whatnot. Alonso was just brilliant on the brakes. Lewis did not see that coming. He thought that he would be going for uh, a move off of the DRS straight because, uh, Lewis kind of took more of a wide turn into it to get a better exit onto the straight, but by then, Alonso already had him beat ahead and had the DRS because he was still behind crossing the detection zone. So it was just absolute brilliance from Alonso. And after that, he was on his way to catching Carlos Sainz, and he was able to do that as well a few laps later. Um, he tried that same move on Sainz, and Sainz kind of blocked it off, but then he was able to to make the move because Sainz had a compromised exit. So Alonso's DRS was able to get him into the next turn, I guess, which would be turn 11. Uh, so just absolute brilliance from Fernando Alonso, who, of course, by saying that he gets past Hamilton and Sainz, gets a podium. Uh, it was a Verstappen-Perez-Alonso podium, Red Bull 1-2. The fastest lap actually went to Guan Yu Zhou, because he pitted on the second last lap to take the point away from, from Pierre Gasly, who had the fastest lap at this time. And I was saying, you know, I, I'll get into some betting, actually. I know I don't really talk betting too much on this podcast, but I had huge money on Max Verstappen as a pole position and race win. Like, he had to do both. Um, the winner by 10 seconds, which he won by 11 seconds. And I also just had a separate bet on Max just for pole position. Um, so I won all of those, very happy. And a friend of mine, sent a picture of his bet, um, betting that Max would pick up the hat trick with the fastest lap. And I said, man, these fastest laps, they're, they're fluky. I'm not sure if I'd be wanting to do that because all it takes is, you know, Perez has a 20-second gap. And they're like, okay, you can go grab the fastest lap now. So I didn't like to do that. And it ended up costing him because if he was doing the the double like, like I had, he would have won his bet. But yeah, for it being a, a rough race for my team, um, and it just not being super eventful and Red Bull kind of dominating. It wasn't 
it wasn't too bad because I was able to win a pretty large chunk of money off of this race, and I think I was able to kind of uh, the sports books weren't weren't prepared for the Red Bull domination that I think us F1 F1 fans knew was going to come. So able to to make the most out of that for sure. Um, so I guess that's the only silver lining at the moment. Um, but final results were Max, of course, comfortably in P1 ahead of Perez. They redeemed themselves after last year's mayor uh, in Bahrain. Red Bull, of course, scoring zero points after their double DNF. P3, Fernando, back in the podium for the first time since Qatar 2021. Also the second podium for the Aston Martin team. Of course, Vettel snagged P2 in Baku 2021. P4 was Signs. He was able to hold off Hamilton in P5, who just didn't have enough pace to, to get Signs in the end. Um, P6 was Lance. What a job from Lance, I have to say. The the worry about the wrists, um, of course, he wasn't quite on Alonso's pace, which I think even with a fully healthy Lance, we didn't really think was going to happen. Um, but to do this with the injured wrist surgery, I think, what was 13 days ago? or Yeah, I think he said 12 days ago on, on Saturday, so... Yeah, pretty incredible stuff. Um, he was getting a lot of congratulations from Fernando, from his friend uh, Ocon. Um, and, yeah, I would just say that it was it was a really big day for Lance, who, of course, gets a lot of, of hate uh, from F1 fans um, for reasons, I guess, you understand. But still, at the end of the day, no one deserves uh, to be hated like Lance does sometimes. Uh, he was able to hold off Russell in P7, who... It's definitely not going to be happy with that result, uh, considering, you know, up until Silverstone, he was P5 or better in every single race last season. Uh, P8, Valtteri Bottas. I know I mentioned him at the start and that he had a great start, and from there just kind of controlled it. He, he was really never threatened by anyone behind him. Um, Gasly was P9, who, if you remember, I said started P20. To make it up to P9, probably the driver of the day um, of the midfield, because, of course, Fernando Alonso was the actual voted driver of the day. And P10 was Alex Albon. Yes, Williams scoring points in the first race of the season. I actually should have looked up when the last time that happened was because it's probably been a long time. If I had to guess, probably like 2017, um, maybe even longer. So, yeah, great job from Alex Albon and Williams because Logan Sargent, he was P12, wasn't that far behind. I think he ended the race roughly about 10 seconds behind Alex Albon. So hats off to him. We definitely do not have another Latifi in F1. That is for sure. Since that covers the driver's standings, I'm not going to go through them because I just gave you the final results of the race. So let's look at the constructors. Red Bull jumps out to a early strong lead of 43 points, followed by Aston Martin. 23 points for them. They are sitting second ahead of Mercedes with 16 points. So Ferrari... Even though they were looking like the second quickest team, dropped a fourth in the constructors with 12 points. They're right there behind Mercedes in one race's time. They will probably pip them once again. Um, Alfa Romeo, in terms of the midfield fight, gets kind of the, the first head start. Four points for them. Uh, Alpine, two points from Gasly, and of course the one point from Williams. And the other three teams, AlphaTauri, Haas, and McLaren, all score zero points. Okay, so that is the breakdown of the Bahrain Grand Prix. Now let's go back to prize, demise, and surprise. Prize, demise, and surprise will be reprised 
for the 2023 season. I was waiting so long to be able to say that. <laughs> Just a ridiculous opening to the segment. I'm sorry. But my prize, of course, I guess I should explain this. Um, for new listeners, prize, demise, and surprise is, I mean, maybe a bit self-explanatory, but the prize is kind of my W of the weekend. Um, and it's not just, you know, Max Verstappen won and had the best race. It's not necessarily just just that. It's more so of just a big picture thing. Who is the biggest winner of the weekend? Um, and then Demise is the biggest loser. And then Surprise, of course, is just the biggest surprise of the weekend. And Surprise does not have to be a driver or a team. It can be anything from an FIA decision to, to something in the commentary or whatever. It can, it can be anything. So... Yes, the prize. The winner of the weekend. Of course, it has to be Aston Martin, right? I'm, I'm not going with just Fernando Alonso. Aston Martin as a whole, it is incredible what they have done. They were over two seconds off of pole last year in Bahrain and qualifying. This year, only five-tenths off and then picking up a podium ahead of Ferrari and Mercedes. And they thought that what they were able to do over the winter was going to put them at the top of the midfield. And I think they banked on Ferrari and Mercedes making a bigger step. But with them both kind of faltering, what it seems like over the winter, and not making that much progress, Aston Martin has pounced and just completely um, passed them as well in terms of the first race. Uh, We'll talk more about them in a second. But just what a job from them. I'm so happy for that team. To think that they were, you know, racing point Force India, just kind of this uh, plucky little overachieving team as uh many people like to call them especially british people because <laughs> i don't know anyone that says plucky uh but it, it was it's just incredible from from that silverstone based team and they have a strong future ahead of them if this is the type of improvements that we already see from them in 2023 they might be a force to be reckoned with in in a few years time potentially 2026 the reset that they need to be able to catch a team like red bull at the moment um a team that I I regret picking over Aston Martin, and even though I I made it very known that I think that this that Aston Martin might be able to pass this team because I did not believe in their project. I wish I would have just been a little bit more bold, and that's McLaren. Um, I was also ripping on my friend for saying they might finish eighth in the constructors this season, and of course McLaren finished fifth last year and had an absolute nightmare in Bahrain. They do it again. But this time, it just, I don't know, it feels different. To do it two years in a row, what Lando's saying about the car and just how tricky it is to drive with the other teams making bigger steps this year, I am a little bit worried for McLaren. Am I worried about Lando? No. He will definitely be up there, but he just deserves so much better. And for Oscar Piastri, this might be a tough go for him just because if he's not able to adapt to this tricky McLaren, Eyeballs are going to be on him for sure, um, and I'm sure Daniel Ricciardo is happy that he didn't give another year of this McLaren a go because it just would have been treacherous for him. So he's probably going to be happier on the sidelines than in this tractor of a McLaren. So I, I'm sorry for McLaren fans. It, it really does look like it might be a tricky year for you. Um, but hopefully they're able to get on top of their issues and, and develop the car again and get up to the sharp end of the midfield. But as of now, they definitely get the L of the weekend. Just absolute nightmares on both cars. The surprise, I was thinking, I'm like, is there was there a surprise from this weekend that wasn't just an, a driver or a team? And honestly, I just think I was most surprised by the pace of the Williams. I, I thought that they would be better and closer in the midfield fight, but they looked very comfortable. And the commentary was even talking about how balanced their car looks and 
that it was just much easier to drive. And and Logan and Albon definitely proved that. Uh, Alex, of course, scoring points for them. And Logan having a great debut race. Of course, he doesn't score points, but I was very happy with both of their performances and just the overall performance of the car. James Valls, of course, scoring points in his first race with Williams. So maybe this team isn't as, you know, off the back as we thought we might be. I thought they were going to be 10th pretty easily and just because without having a technical director and a new team principal it was just going to be a bit of a mess for them but maybe we deserve or we need to give Williams more credit um, than we do so they get my surprise and I'm hoping that they can be in the fight most weekends whether if they're still in that 12th 13th I think they got to be happy with that if they're there most weekends because there were quite a few weekends last year where you know they may have been fighting but then there was the other weekends where uh they were just clearly 19th and 20th and it's a shame when we have cars like that in in f1 right so we want everyone to be with a puncher's chance of points and it looks like we might get that this year so now we're going to go to a new segment where last year i would have gone into my championship segment just a little bit early um let's get more of a picture i'm thinking that i might reintroduce the championship segment after baku because that's the first European race and we might get some upgrades then and definitely we'll also have a picture of you know the standings at that point a little more there's not even barely a driver standings right now it's just one race result right so instead I'm going to talk about the storylines coming out of the Bahrain Grand Prix and whether it's an overreaction or these stories actually have some traction I want to give myself a little pat on the back. Pretty clever segment uh, name, if, if you ask me. Overreaction or traction. This is, of course, I was just explaining that. Is it a, a take that we're hearing from the media that is a complete overreaction after one race? Or do these storylines have some real traction behind it? Um, so I only have three right now. And I was thinking of maybe adding this fourth. So we'll see how it goes. Um, but we're going to start with Aston Martin because everyone is talking about Aston Martin right now. And what I'm hearing from a lot of people is, you know, they are legitimately the third fastest team and Mercedes is fourth fastest. So Aston Martin will beat Mercedes or, you know, just challenge up at the front. This one is tricky, but I'm going to say it's an overreaction. The reason I'm saying overreaction is the beating Mercedes part of it. I think it's still very early days to to pick a team led by Alonso and Lance Stroll to uh, to you know finish ahead of of George Russell and Lewis Hamilton, the best driving lineup on the grid, um, over the course of an entire season. We don't know anything about reliability yet. Um, and development race, I would still give the edge to Mercedes, even though those were my two top developers of last season. Mercedes definitely has some has some time to to be um to be found um as for aston martin they may have done a lot of their work over the winter already so i just think it's an overreaction to say oh they're definitely going to beat mercedes look at look at the bahrain grand prix right um in terms of them challenging at the front and them being legit at the top of the midfield at the very very least that has definitely some traction this team is legit i just think to say you know oh mercedes is is washed aston martin is going to beat them is is a bit ridiculous to me so aston martin at the end of the day is still a customer team of mercedes i would expect mercedes to 
to be on top of them. But this might be a battle all season long. So if even that, that is a bit embarrassing for the Mercedes works team. Now let's talk about Ferrari's reliability and the fact that they might already be toast for for 2023. This seems like a slam dunk overreaction, but guys, I'm going to say this has traction. Ferrari's reliability in 2023, I'm very worried about that. That was something that they were supposed to address over the winter. And in the first race, Leclerc's engine is already dying down. The big thing that that was supposed to propel Ferrari this year was the fact that they were going to be able to turn their engine back up um, because they addressed those reliability issues. And now they're already breaking down. And before the race, I heard that Sainz and Leclerc both had to get either like new control electronics or energy stores. They're already using part of their uh, allotment uh, of of power unit um, components. That is insane to be doing that in Bahrain. I am definitely worried about the Ferrari. I think we might have to see them turn their engines down sooner than the last season. So, yeah. In qualifying, I expect Ferrari to be a force. But over the course of the season, I'm not sure. I think I think Mercedes might actually be in the best position to, to grab a P2 in the constructors. Because as of now, it looks like it's absolutely Red Bull's game, which I will go into. Right now, that is the other storyline is Red Bull this season is sewn up. George Russell has already said Red Bull has this season sewn up. It's over. Um, and in Max's hands, Red Bull have this season locked up. They might win every single race of the season is what I heard. Now, of course, winning every single race of the season is an overreaction. But is Red Bull has this season sewn up an overreaction? I'm going to lean yes, actually, believe it or not. Now, would they be the betting favorite? Absolutely. Do I think anyone is going to catch them? No. So how can I say it's an overreaction? Well, let me explain. So until I see Red Bull dominate for at least the next like seven races by, let's say by Spain, if by Spain, Red Bull are still absolutely dominating everyone, then it is sewn up. It is absolutely sealed shut. But after one race, where, you know, Bahrain is not exactly the best track to be doing testing. There there are characteristics of of these cars that we don't quite know yet. Of course, I don't think Bahrain is a very specific track where you, uh, like Monza, Williams was able to, to extract the strengths of their car and, and have a great... Um, have a great drive, of course, in the hands of Nick DeVries because of their straight line speed. Bahrain is a bit more of a balanced track, but it is not like Barcelona where it has a little bit of everything. So we will see in due time, you know, the strengths of some of these cars. Just like maybe if Mercedes got rid of their bouncing, maybe they come to back you and they and they look phenomenal. Um, we don't know what kind of upgrade packages are still on the way from these teams. So to just say it's sewn up and they will dominate the season is an overreaction after one race but do i think they're going to win and does this look very um does this look very problematic for the rest of the grid yes of course it does um so those are the three that i wrote down but and i've already talked about mclaren but i i do want to maybe just wing it with one here and talk about a fourth storyline and that is that you know mclaren is going to to be in the cellar of 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 the constructors championship 
um, because of how they started the season. And you can probably guess what I'm going to say here, and I, that's definitely an overreaction as well. Um, so maybe I won't dive too deep into this one just because I came up with it on the spot. Um, but yeah, to say McLaren is just toast after one race, they did this exact thing last year. Like what was with their brake issue problems, right? Um, and this year, I don't know what was going on in Bahrain, but this is something they can definitely turn around. And with the midfield being so tight, um, just finding, you know, two tenths of a second could be massive and they could be in sixth in no time. You know what I mean? So to say, you know, they're eighth or worst after Bahrain, yeah, they probably they probably were 10th, and they actually are 10th in the constructors at the moment. Um, but it's a long season, so give McLaren some time. But as for as of now, they have a lot of issues to fix. So before I wrap it up here, I just want to say a big thanks to the King of the Take Boys last week. Of course, I was only able to have Darnell on, but it was an absolute blast of an episode. Um, I can guarantee that it will not be the last time that we collaborate. Uh, but please continue to check out my TikTok as well. I'm ramping up content on there. So yeah, that is going to do it for the Lewis Hamilton episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 45 next week to preview round two of the 2023 F1 season in Saudi Arabia. Can anyone stop the Red Bulls at the moment? In due time, we will find out. Goodbye.